0: So, who's ready for part two of Pastor, I got a question. So as you just heard just a moment ago, Pastor Ben um, asked the question, can we go too far with grace? Can we go too far with it? We started this last week, and we're going to continue it this week. But as we've been declaring this message, as we've been talking about it, as we've been communicating the gospel of God's grace. We've had questions like this. Can you go too far with it? Aren't you going too far? You're releasing people. There's freedom. Like, can't you go too far? And I would say some suggest that, yes, you can go too far. Because we put heavy emphasis and attention on what Jesus accomplished. We put heavy emphasis and attention on the finished work of the cross that's why this question comes up but we need to remember one thing as we get started today that god's grace involves god's unconditional love towards you and i god expresses his grace in unconditional not only love but forgiveness towards you and I, independent of what we do or what we don't do. How can I say that? Well, grace is personified. You have to understand that when we say the word grace, we're talking about Jesus. When we say the word grace, we're talking about God being personified in Jesus, grace being personified in the one man, Jesus Christ. So grace is not this concept that is thrown out there as some abstract idea or philosophy. Grace is not a cool doctrine when Easter rolls around. No, grace is everything. Grace is a person. It is Jesus Christ. So go too far with grace. But to say that you can go too far with grace is like saying that you can go too far with Jesus. Listen. When we look at Jesus, we see all of His goodness, we see all of His kindness, all the favor, everything that is right with everything that is right with the world. We see in Jesus, right? Goodness, kindness, love, forgiveness. Does He go too far with those things? I don't think He does. Grace is everything. And so Paul explains it this way to us. Whether you're following along on your Calvary Church app, your own Bible. Who has a Bible today? Anybody got their own Bible? Let's go. Come on. Give God praise for the real Bibles in this place. Let's go. The rest of us would deal with digital. You can look on the screen with me. Romans 5.17. This is how Paul explains it. For by the transgressions of the one, talking about your bad uncle Adam, your ancestor, what a guy. For by the transgressions of the one, Adam, death reigned through that one. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So to kind of put this in simple terms for us, when Adam messed up, death reigned through him. But when Jesus came, he died. Died for you and I, but then rose. Guess what? You now reign in life through Christ, through Jesus. So, this whole reigning in life thing is something we have to wrap our minds around. You have to understand. I used to hear preachers say this all the time You reign in life, you reign in life. The kingdom of God is at hand, it's here, it's near, it's in you. Like, reign in life. And again, reigning in life for a New Covenant believer, it's not some abstract idea. It is a reality. Reigning in life is as much as a reality as Jesus dying for you. It happened. Reigning in life. But Paul is explaining through this Romans text right here that The way you and I are going to reign in this life, put it back up, team, is through this. The abundance of grace. We receive it, the abundance of grace. Therefore, we have the gift of righteousness, and that gift of righteousness allows us to reign in life. So I'm going to encourage you today because all of us need to get acquainted with the word abundance. Do you agree? We need to become more acquainted with this word abundance. As believers in this world, you and I need to be more familiar in using this word abundance. We don't use it enough. Matter of fact, we use lack. We use need. I want. We use all these other things, but we don't use abundance. And I believe that God is instructing us today to set up set our eyes higher. Abundance of joy, abundance of strength, abundance of love, abundance of forgiveness, abundance of grace. When you understand that he's given you abundance, because it's the only way God operates. He gives you abundance so that you can reign in life. I'm convinced more than ever that God doesn't do half jobs. He he doesn't give you a quarter of anointing. He doesn't give you half joy. He doesn't give you half of anything. When he gives, he gives it all. This word abundance, you have to know that it doesn't mean that he's filling your cup to the brim. As David said, my cup overflows. Abundance is overflowing. Today, just raise your hands in his presence. Come on. Abundance. You have an abundance of joy meaning that it overflows. You have an abundance of healing meaning that it overflows. An abundance of blessings meaning that it overflows. Oh, an abundance of strength. It overflows and an abundance of peace. God, we thank you that it overflows. An abundance of provision. It overflows. What a good God gives us this abundance of grace so that we can rule and reign in this life we're not left as orphans but we have been given everything pertaining to this life and the godliness thank you for this abundance lord go ahead take your right hand set it on your heart come on repeat after me come on here we go with everything you got eyes to see ears to hear a heart to receive and a mouth to confess All of the good things, come on, say all of the good things Christ has provided for me. If you believe that, come on, give him some praise. Go too far with grace, not a chance. I think we need an understanding of this abundant grace that God's giving to us each and every day in the modern church today. I think more than ever, we have the answer to the world's problem. I think more than ever, we have the solution to our lack and our need in this world. I think more than ever, we have the solution, the message for the world to hear that God has given his abundant grace. And so today we're going to answer a few questions. We've divided up in two groups, and today we're going to ask those and we're going to answer them, okay? So in terms of the subject of grace, here's the second group of our questions pertaining to grace. Number one, if you're following along, I hope you are, write this down. Number one, won't an overemphasis on grace make people more prone to sin? I'm glad you asked. It isn't preaching God's grace, like, doesn't that cause more people to sin? Like, why are we doing it? Why are we preaching it? You talk about freedom. You, 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 you talk about, you know, sin not reigning over you. You, you talk about that you got a new, eye, you know, you're a new creation. Like, like, what does this mean? Won't an overemphasis on grace make people more prone to sin? And can I, can I tell you that this question right here is not a new question. It's an old question. Look at Romans chapter 6 verse 1. Paul says it like this. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? The fact is that this question surfaces so often when we preach and declare the message of God's grace. It's intriguing to me. Because... Could it be that when grace is preached fully, when it's preached in its entirety, it inevitably leads to this question? But on the other hand, if that is the case, is it possible that where the question isn't being asked, that grace hasn't been proclaimed or declared to the extent that it should? Think about that for a second. Because we know as New Covenant believers, as we've emerged ourselves in this teaching, we have experienced freedom in our life. Or let me say it like this. We've experienced victory over sin. We've experienced it. Why? Here it is. Because preaching grace puts the emphasis on what Jesus accomplished on the cross and not your effort. That's why. So you have been set free from the penalty and the power of sin. So Jesus, we know, took on himself the sin of the world so that sin would no longer be our master. We're no longer... Be your master. So here's a few things as a new covenant believer that you need to know regarding sin. The first one is this. Sin can only condemn you when it can be held against you. Hold up. Sin can only condemn you when it can only be held against you. Okay. Second, it can only be held against you when you are under the law. I believe we're going to free people today because some of us have been con- or been feeling overwhelmed by condemnation, not realizing that we're our own condemners and it's not God. When Jesus was crucified, he fulfilled the law, right? he eradicated sin entirely the past sins that God had left unpunished and all future sins that would ever be committed, he took care of them. But here's the problem. We are more sin conscious than sun conscious. How do I say that? Because that's all we think about every day. Sin Sin, sin, avoid sin. Don't go there because you'll sin. Don't say that because that's a sin. It's all about sin. So what we do is we are sin conscious. And what happens when you are sin conscious? You will inevitably sin. (laughs) You will sin. Because here's the truth. You need to remember this, that we are always moving in the direction of our dominant thoughts. As the man thinketh in his heart, so he is. So if you're always thinking about sin, avoiding sin, paranoid about sin, scared of sin, guess what might happen in your life? You're moving toward that thought. But what happens when you are subconscious? What do I mean by subconscious? that God brought you into his family as a son or a daughter and now he's given you authority in his kingdom. You've been accepted. You have his love, his forgiveness. What happens when you become son conscious? Do you know what happens? You begin to reign in life. You begin, to looking for, you begin to start looking for the good things in life. You teach yourself to look for God's blessings. You teach yourself that God is in all things in here on earth. And that you and I get the great opportunity to bring light into dark places. That's what sun consciousness is. And you begin to live it out. So here it is, here's another way of putting it: that you're righteous conscious. This is why, this is why we talk about you being made the righteousness of God in Christ, that you're righteous, you have right standing with God, that that God by way of God uh, uh, made peace with humanity. Uh, You have to understand that you have right standing with a good God. This is why we declare that you have his righteousness because we're trying to impress on you that you have his righteousness, therefore you can be righteous conscious. Not walking around paranoid or fearful, but know and know for yourself that you are a king and have authority in God's kingdom. Right. So we have the great task of announcing man's innocence in the sight of God. (laughs) Paul said it like this. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation been reconciled we have the ministry of reconciliation and as a believer you know what this means that you and i are not living you know to get victory but we're living from victory over sin so we put our faith in what jesus did for us on the cross meaning this that we take him at his word then what when we take him at his word we're free to discover the new man that we are on the inside That's what Paul talks about. You've been made into a new creation. You're a new man. The more acquainted that we become with that new man, can I tell you, the more and more you see God's hand working in your life effortlessly. Effortlessly. Romans chapter 8 verses 3 through 6, Paul is describing here how the spirit leads us, says this, that the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Okay, here it is right here. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Come on, God has invited us to discover our lives in the new man. Come on, if you are grateful for that, give Jesus some praise. Come on. It's good news. You don't have to fight. Discover. The joy of discovering who God made you to be. Here's the second question right here that we're going to answer. If I sin, will God remove his spirit from me? If I sin, will God remove his spirit from me? Okay, let's agree. And I think we're all on the same page. The Holy Spirit is in you. Okay? Dwells inside of you. Right here. If you need to give him a location, I like the right here. Okay? We also know he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, he may be grieved over your choice, Right, when you act outside of who you really are as the new creation in Christ, but he will never leave you. No, he's committed to your process. He's committed to you. He's committed to you renewing your mind. So he will never leave you. But you may think, wait a minute, David cried out, didn't he? Didn't he cry out somewhere in the Bible where it says, don't leave me? And I know what you're thinking. Psalm 51, 11, it says this. Do not take your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. There it is. Now, remember context. You have to understand that when David said this, he was under the old covenant. A completely different covenant. David lived before the cross, right? But David was a man ahead of his time meaning that he longed for the day when the blessing of Abraham would come upon mankind. So I would say it like this, that David longed for what you and I now get to live in. What a gift. But by faith, He saw something different. By faith, he saw a day of blessedness when man would have all his sins removed, but he wasn't yet in that covenant, but he saw it. He saw it and he longed for it. And listen to his words in Psalm 32. He says this, "Blessed Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit, is no deceit. So in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit only came on people for a season for a specific task. There were times where you see in, Bi- in the Bible where the Holy Spirit would come and rest upon a person because that person had a specific task from the Lord. But I love it now because as the New Testament declares, the kingdom is here, is at hand. It was Jesus. And by his death, burial, and resurrection, guess what? Now, it's not one person with a specific task, but now it's all of us operating with the kingdom inside of us to bring forth God's purpose on this earth. Yeah. That God would go ahead of us and say, all of you have a purpose and a destiny, and I know you don't see it right now, but you have to understand that you are creating an atmosphere and a world that coincides with heaven. You bring heaven to earth. Yeah. It's not about us going to heaven someday. And yes, we will, and yes, we will enjoy that. But 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 God is like, why wait when I've given you everything in you and, and why wait to experience all of my glory all of my peace and strength and everything that is impossible to man why why wait when i've given you everything so that you can operate with my kingdom on the inside of you today yeah. right. hey the only way we're going to get to that place is understanding that god's given us abundant grace that's it abundant grace so in the old covenant, get this, Holy Spirit will visit every now and then on a specific person. Holy Spirit's not into visitation anymore. He's into habitation, meaning that he habit- he's, in, he's, he's on the inside of you. In the new covenant, he is in us. Our spirit is holy and he has no reason to ever leave us. There's no reason to ever leave. So real quick, to, to drive this point home, Listen to John chapter 14, verse 16. Read it for yourself. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the Holy Spirit, to be with you. How long? Forever. Come on, if you're glad for that, come on, give Jesus some praise. He's in you. Okay, number three, here we go. Doesn't the Spirit convict us of sin? Hey, doesn't the Spirit convict us of sin? The Holy Spirit, this feels like a gospel circle, by the way. The Holy Spirit, I love it because now I see the Holy Spirit as a friend. Because growing up, I, I always was taught or told or understood the Holy Spirit to be a finger-pointing um, accuser. And, and the Holy Spirit, um, in my understanding back then, always brought remorse. Hear me? Because if we don't understand God and what he did and what he believes about us, all we have to give is remorse. And remorse, never, it doesn't get you anywhere. Now, for some actions we take, there will be remorse in our actions, but in relating to God, that's no way to relate to God. There's no way to relate to God. And so does the Spirit convict us of sin? And I would say that the the role of the Holy Spirit does two things. And we're going to read it in just a second. But you have to know that there is no other forgiveness than the one that Jesus gives. So we know we know right and wrong. Each of us have a God-given conscience, okay? We know right and wrong. And while others are maturing in their price, process of what is right We have to understand that everybody's on their journey and God is even teaching us what is right and wrong. So let's look at how Jesus uh, explains the conviction of sin. Here it is. Let's look at it through a new covenant perspective. John chapter 16, verse 8 through 11. This is one of my favorite verses to teach in a gospel circle. And it says this, and when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit... He will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has been judged. Do you see that? Okay. Understand his context is everything. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of sin. Talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin. If you're a believer in here today, if you've accepted the life of Jesus, you are not in the category of the world. Once you were, once you were, but you are not in the category of the world. But when you were in the category of the world, do you know what happened? The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. But now as a believer, do you want to know what this looks like? Now the role of the Holy Spirit acts as a minister. The role of the Holy Spirit ministers to you who you really are. So let's break this down because right here it says, he convicts the world concerning sin. First part, why sin? Because they do not believe in me. That's not you. And, and and let me just add to this, that the main sin, it's not sins, plural. It says sin, singular. What is that one sin? Unbelief in Jesus' finished work. Are you seeing this? Okay. Now, He convicts the world concerning righteousness. Why? Because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. Meaning that when you are a believer and the Holy Spirit starts tapping you on your shoulder, what is he doing? He's ministering to you and it's no longer a conviction, but it's a convincing of who you really are. He's saying, son, daughter, that's not you. You're different. I love it because I'll talk to you know people every now and then. They'll say, man, you know, I don't know how I'm doing in this thing, but you know what? Like, it, it does feel weird. I can't go do those things that I used to. I'm like, the Holy Spirit is doing his job. He's bringing you up to a place where you're understanding You're knowing who you are. You're discovering what to say no to, right? That's what uh, Titus talks about, that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. That's what it is. Okay, so that's concerning righteousness. Now, he convicts the world concerning judgment. Why judgment? Because the ruler of this world has been judged. Sin has been judged on the cross. Okay, so let me put it to you like this. He convicts the world of sin. He convinces the believer of righteousness and he judges the enemy. Are you free or what? (laughs) You're free. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And now, guess what? The word conviction understands this. The word conviction, please hear me, the word conviction reminds us of a convict in a courtroom on trial receiving a punishment. But again, this is not you. God does not convict sons and daughters. He convinces sons and daughters. And so now we understand the Holy Spirit as a counselor, as a comforter, as a guide, and as a teacher. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I used to think of the Holy Spirit as someone who just come out to get me. But now I realize that every time I I mess up, I make a mistake, I fall flat on my face, the Holy Spirit will be there to, to convince me and minister to me of who I really am. You don't need a preacher to tell you that. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit telling you. This is what it means by empowering people in God's grace. You don't need to listen to a podcast. Why? Because the Holy Spirit would tell you. And hear me when I say this, because some people just think, oh, sin, bad actions, but I'm a good person. Listen, sin is anything outside of God, meaning worry, stress, anxiety, fatigue, frustration, confusion. If there's no peace, God wants you to operate in peace. And the role of the Holy Spirit is to remind you that you have his peace, that you have his strength, that you have everything you need in this life and you can be present and you can be one with him regardless of what anything, whatever's happening on the outside. And if you're glad for that, come on, give Jesus some praise. Okay. Number four, here it is. If my sin nature has been removed, why am I still tempted? (laughs) <laughs> help me, pastor. Help my temptation go away. Why, why, why do I have this new nature and I'm still tempted? Well, I would say this. Yeah, we do have an enemy. You do. He's not just going to roll over and play dead and not do anything. But do you know what the enemy does? The enemy tempts us by speaking lies into our mind. And hear me because these 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 lies sound like our own thoughts. Do you know what happens when someone desires power or control and they can't have it? They lie. The Bible makes it clear to us that the Bible has been or the the the, the enemy has been stripped of his power. The enemy has been stripped of his power, which means he's left to lie. (laughs) So think about that for a second, because that's the way the enemy tries to trick you is to deceive you in your mind and to make you believe what he thinks you are. And so it's easy to see why we get confused about who the real me is at times, because it sounds like our own, Voice. These things we think about, these things that we, you know, focus on, inadequacy, inferior, not enough, I'm not good, I'm a joke, whatever you think about. Listen, these things are authored by the enemy. And so we have to understand that when old lies and thought patterns reemerge, we have to remind ourselves that they have been crucified with Christ. This is part of your glorious past. So whenever those things try to emerge, whenever those things try to come up, you got a choice, a choice whether to believe them or your choice whether to hold up the cross against those things. And if the enemy can get you to claim a sinful thought as your own, his next lie will be to influence you to believe it. And this is what you'll end up saying. Well, this is what I, I want to do. Nope. And, and then if you go down that route, the next lie you tell yourself is this. How can you call yourself a Christian? <laughs> and you go to church and you try to be like them, you're different. You're not like them. Look at what you did. You should be ashamed. You're disgusting. And that's not the way the Holy Spirit works. And the point is this, by agreeing with these lies, we empower them and we allow them to have influence in our lives then we fall into guilt and we fall into shame and we lose our joy. Understand this, believer, that without joy, we are not strong enough to resist the enemy's bombardment that follows. This is why, this is why we declare that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because in joy, you can overcome. In joy, you're not missing anything. In joy... You are reminded that you are complete. Enjoy. You don't have to force anything. Enjoy. You're content. Enjoy. Your life is worth celebrating. Are you hear me? Now you are in Christ, and we need to become acquainted with this abundant grace. And your new nature wants to do the things that God has put on the inside. of of you meaning that you are a new creation you have a new identity this is part of the new man with new desires you have a new heart you have his nature written on your mind you have his spirit living on the inside of you your spirit is completely 100 percent brand new it's done it's sealed and if we don't know this to be true we will stay in bondage Did you know you can be a Christian going to church every single Sunday and you can still be in bondage? That's what Jesus meant when he said, I came to free, free the captives, free. Okay, number five, here we go. If I don't forgive others, will God forgive me? If I don't forgive others, will God forgive me? Now, understand this, that a basic rule of hermeneutics is to carry old covenant language through the cross, meaning that if a teaching comes through unchanged, well, fine. But if the new covenant teaching after the cross redefines it, then we go with that. And understand this, in this case, because Jesus, in a sermon on the mount, said, you want to be forgiven? Make sure you... Give others. But then we understand that we have been forgiven by way of the cross. And then Paul comes back and says that we have been forgiven. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. He says, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. So you now forgive from the place that you've been fully forgiven. And can I tell you, that is the accurate way to forgive others. Because you'll never forget. No, you'll never forget the way they hurt you. You'll never forget the words they said to you. You'll probably never forget. But I will say this, your heart towards that situation can change. And the only way we can get to that place is understanding that God forgave us. And so forgiveness of others is not a condition for being forgiven. It is a privilege, privilege of those who have been forgiven. And now I extend forgiveness to those that have hurt me, not because it's a condition, because it is my privilege. Okay, I have to go quick. Number six, here we go. Doesn't the Bible say we should confess our sins? I'm going to close with this one. Doesn't the Bible say that you and I should confess our sins? I love confession now because when it's used properly, confession is probably one of the greatest weapons we can use in this good fight of faith. Think about Everything that is synonymous with confession. Think of all the things, right? When I say confession, you have your own picture. Some of us came from Catholic Church. Some of us grew up in different religions, different ways of confessing in the Christian church. But we have our own ideas of of confession. And remember, confession for a lot of us dealt with remorse, not restoration. For a lot of us, it was all about uh, remorse and nothing about God restoring us. So that's what confession came to be. But the word confession is found in two places in the New Testament. Right here, here's the first one. James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So confession, I'll have you know in this text, is a healthy exercise when you have wronged a person. This is the way we're, we deal with one another on a horizontal level, okay? If I've wronged you, if you've wronged me, it's a good idea. If I confess to you, hey, I wronged you. Are you getting this? Okay. So regarding the word confession, the word confess, hear me, because we like to think of the word confession as our confession to God, So let's switch the way we're thinking really quickly. And regarding this word confession, confess really means to agree with. To agree with. So then, when you fall, when you do that thing you don't want to do, when you make a mistake, to confess sin means to come into agreement with the way God sees sin. We agree that it is contrary to our nature. We agree that it is not us. And we think differently on those things. And we thank God that we are 100% righteous in his eyes because of what Jesus did for us on that cross. The confession now sounds like this. Jesus, I messed up, but I'm so glad that you've made me a son in your kingdom and you have given me your righteousness, and I don't have to act like that because I'm royalty. That is a good confession. So, confession is agreeing with God. You know what most of our confession sounds like? Agreeing with the enemy. You're disgusting. You're bad, sinner, you're separated from God, you're no good. (laughs) But true confession is actually agreeing with God. Okay, let's go to our last passage right here. So another passage that the word confession appears in the New Testament is this one right here. It appears uh, in 1 John 1, 9. And says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, now remember that in the last series, we talked about this, that you and I are in a covenant of sins, therefore. Not a if then. Do we remember the difference? The if then covenant says, if you do these things, then God will do these things. It's if then. But you and I are now, We have been introduced to a new covenant. That's our reality. It's a since therefore. Since God has done this, therefore I do this. It's a living from that place. But wait a minute because 1 John 1, 9 sounds awfully like if then covenant. Read it. If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, and purify us from unrighteousness. You see that, and I'm glad you're thinking that. But John makes it clear that in order to be forgiven, we have to come in agreement with God that we have all sinned and we have fallen short. But here's the difference. This text, John is addressing a Gnostic heresy that had a dualistic approach to the nature of man. So he was not talking to you. <laughs> so your confession would sound different than what John is addressing to the group of that day. You're not in an if-then, you're in a sense therefore And so if you were a Gnostic like these people, then you believe that the soul of man was untouched by sin. And that's not what we believe, but that's what these people thought. So John is telling them, hey, if you're going to be forgiven like we're forgiven, then you got to confess your sins, y'all. That's not for you. But as a believer in the new covenant, as a carrier of God's kingdom, your confession sounds a little different. Your confession Sounds with what God had accomplished for you. Why? Because you've already received the new life of Christ. So instead of confessing what the devil is trying to lead you to confess, you confess the right things. You confess what Jesus knows to be true about you and I. And we're so glad because when we do sin, guess what? The maturity in us, the Holy Spirit, the process of renewing our minds reminds us that Jesus is our assurance that all this sin has been dealt with. We have been forgiven. It has been removed. And after we have been born again, we are kept clean from sin because of what the blood of Jesus achieved. That's your reality. So we no longer confess our sin in order to be forgiven. Now we confess or agree with God about the unwise action, but most importantly, we thank him for what he accomplished for us. Why is that important? I don't know, maybe some, some of you are thinking, what it even matter? It matters a whole lot. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. Do you want to know why we have so many Christians in cycles and phases in life? They're always in the cycle, always going back to the things that they struggled with seven years ago, ten years ago, maybe even last week. It's because they haven't received the way God sees them. This is our reality. Not only did God save us, but He's introduced to us a new way of thinking. Because I can guarantee you in this room, in this room right now, there's dreams and hopes for the future. But you know what's stopping you? The fact that you tell yourself it's impossible. But what if you believe today That you have everything. You're not inadequate. But you have everything. That you need to accomplish what God put on the inside of you. Do you know how you're going to get there? Making a good confession. It's time to break free. It's time to break free from those old ways of thinking. It's time to break free. Do you know why? Because the future demands it. Because we're always changing. We're always evolving. And God is molding us, each and every single one of us, into his idea of what kingdom looks like on earth. And what's most amazing that each of us will show that in our own unique way future demands it. future demands it. I'm seeing it more and more through this church I'm seeing it I've seen this church evolve I've seen this church grow I've seen this church deepen in their understanding I've seen it but do you know how it's come by making a good confession and your voice matters the reason why I say that because what you say what you say the way you talk Shapes everything around you. My wife and I have been practicing this. matter of fact that they are on a 21-day no complaining challenge. and yes, it's been hard. <laughs> but we're not trying to complain, because as you complain, do you know you cause anxiety on yourself by complaining? Thursday, we decided to do it. Let's start it. 21-day challenge. Sounds like fun. Let's do it. And then I'm on my way to an outreach. Traffic hits. And I get three calls of things not going the way we planned. Can I tell you? I wanted to complain. I had every right to complain. But as I pulled up, I was like, I didn't complain. And it actually helped because I'm at peace. Complaining takes you out of the proper and perfect place of peace. So I'm going to ask you, church, because it's really up to us. Think about what you think about and think about what you say. Because many of us don't know we're shaping our realities. We are. We're shaping our realities. Now, if I can get my six-year-old to not complain, oh, yeah, that's a taste of heaven. We're not there yet, though. (laughs) We're not there yet. Do you know, instead of making your confession to God, there's a couple things that we can confess that He's done for us. Do you remember giving promises to God? Many of us are probably trying to live those promises now. And I'm not trying to discourage you and say that you'll never do those things, but I am trying to say, hey, maybe let's try doing it from His strength, not your effort. So you can make a promise all day long. I think that's a noble thing when you make it to God. But let's try to live it from a place of His strength, not your effort. Because every time I made a promise to God in my own effort, I failed. And because I failed, it caused more guilt, more condemnation. And guess what? By the end of it, I was like, "Why? Well, I can't do this. So I opt out. So many of us, this is our ter- third time coming back to quote unquote church or religion or relationship, whatever, but it's our, it's our last time trying because we've been through that process. But hear me when I say this, a confession that God makes to you sounds totally different right there where you are. Can you raise your hands? I'm going to declare these things over here. This is what God says that he will do. He will do. I know you want to do things for God, but for a second, this are the, these are the things that God says he will do. Jeremiah 32, 40 says that I make an everlasting covenant with you. I will never stop doing good to you. Genesis twenty two seventeen 17 says, I will bless you. Jeremiah 31, I will be your God. You will be my people. Isaiah 54, 8, I will have compassion on you. Jeremiah 31, I will forgive your wickedness. Jeremiah says that I will remember your sins no more. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will save you. I will not forget you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I will be with you when you pass through the waters and through fire. I will counsel you With my eye upon you, I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way that you should go. Ezekiel says, God declares that I will multiply the fruit of the tree and produce for you a field of crops. I will rescue you from every attack and bring you to safety. I will never cast you out. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you revelations chapter 3 verse 5 i will never blot your name from the book of life and john six thirty nine says i will raise you up on the last day come on those are the i wills of god can you receive those today god will